I just might be your second chance at betrayal. My name is Matthew Kroll. And Brooke Brothers just won't cut it. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Tenant. Or yep. if you spell it backwards, Tenant. I'm just going to say this out right now. I want everybody to do this. Is When you get to the end of this podcast, I want you to flip it and reverse it. Play it backwards. I swear to you, we are telling a whole different story, and it will completely make sense only once you've heard the whole thing forward and backwards at least five times. If you got five a, times, which is an even number, uh, which is an odd number, uh, which will make it really challenging. If you got a big trunk, let me search it and yeah. then bow down, flip, flip it, it, and reverse, and reverse it. it. Yeah, Thanks, I mean, that's, I mean, I think we pretty much just broke down the entire plot of this film uh, <laughs> with those words. Now, uh, this has been a long time coming. Actually, I was pretty certain we weren't going to do this movie because you were you were fairly uninterested. Didn't want to see it. Didn't want to see it. Um, but uh, due to uh, I, I don't even know if I told you this. I think I was waiting to see if this would ever work out. You here? Guess what film my parents bought me unprompted for Christmas? Uh, was it Orson Welles' The Magnificent Amberson? No, no. Try again. Ah, okay, uh, let me try this again. Um, Hodorowski's yeah, no, uh, Santa Sangre. Warmer, okay, warmer. Yeah, I'm getting there. Um, let's try this. Uh, Bellatar's film Santa Tango. Oh, you're so close. So Just close. try it. a little bit, a little the, bit okay, more I'm gonna, here. I'm gonna get it this time. Was it Christopher Nolan's Tenant? <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was Tenant. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it, so I own it now. Wait, and did they buy Jamie... it for you on Blu-ray or what? Yeah, they bought you yeah. a Blu-ray. What? They bought you a Blu-ray. That's I nice. know. It was very lovely of them. It just, I, it, it was a random. I was like, oh, so now I'm destined for this. <laughs> um, well, perhaps you're not. It's just a little bit of faith that you got to take. Perhaps the film was always causally bound to you. You just didn't realize it yet. Sure, sure. Let's go with <laughs> let's go with that. That seems nice. So so and then last night, uh, Jamie mentioned that she wanted to watch a movie, and I was like, "Well, I do have this," uh, and I'd already watched the movie that we're going to do later. So, uh, <laughs> tenant, it was, and then we're we're waiting to do. Um, uh, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get it right. We're gonna the get the name wrong. We're gonna all get it right the this first time. Never, rarely, sometimes, always. Yes, we uh, we originally slated to do that this week, yeah. but uh, Shahir's lining up a very awesome guest, so we decided to push it back and uh, you know get a little get a little uh, Nolan verse in in our <laughs> cinema soup. What? Why? Okay, and but by the way, uh, we did run a poll for this one, and uh, oddly, Tenant and Never Real, Never Really, Sometimes Always were tied neck and neck with the exact same amount of votes, which I thought was fun, um, <laughs> fun to see. Uh, but please email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod with your movie recommendations. If you've seen Never Really, Sometimes Always, I'm getting good at saying that now, so I'm just yeah. going to keep saying it as much as possible. Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. Okay, um, Email us in for that movie. Again, I am trying to get a really great guest on that. Uh, fingers crossed. Hopefully we can make it uh, make the stars align for that one. Um, and uh, we have previously got a couple of emails about Tenant because, as you know, Tenant was released in the middle of the year. And interestingly, in 
different parts of the world, people had been able to go see it in movie theaters, whereas in the United States, uh, if you had any sense at all, you probably didn't try to go see it in a movie theater when it was released. Uh, although some people, like our guest Matt Branstorf, um, went and rented a movie theater in New Jersey where you could watch it uh, by renting the entire theater wow. to yourself. Um, so this was the, I guess this was the canary in the coal mine for the, the movie industry this year. It was anyway, because it's sure, a sure, 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 sure. summer release movie, which is a pretty big deal in any movie going year. Um, but then when COVID hit, uh, it became more so because the tenant was the first movie to be pushed back to push back its release days over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And to the point where wherever tenant was going to land determined where the rest of the movie industry was going to dis- uh, release their blockbusters. Like a goalpost just <laughs> like, being constantly moved. Yeah. And and then interestingly, Warner Brothers decided to to slate all their films for HBO Max, um, much to somewhat of the ur of uh, of Mr. Nolan, um, and I guess he's received a little bit of backlash for 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 what his perceived intentions were for the release of Ten. Um, and Mainly I think we'll from in, me. We'll get into we'll get into that specifically uh, during this conversation. But, but film-wise, um, Shahir, yeah. you, you correct me if I'm wrong. You were pumped for this, not pumped to see this in particular. I remember I hadn't watched any trailers, so I didn't even know what the movie was about. All sure, I was interested but, in was okay. Uh, so pre-COVID, I was I was excited to see a Christopher Nolan movie in a theater. That's that's kind of you know as as far as my excitement goes. Um, Just the way you've spoken about it, I, I guess that does make sense. Yeah. I just I, I feel like the tone and tenor was that you were pumped for this. No, but maybe no. I'm, maybe I, I'm I, I think I made what I made very clear was that I was very curious to see what happened with this movie because this movie was such a bellwether for the rest of the industry. Sure, sure, um, sure, sure, sure. So I was very curious to see what happened with this movie, particularly for, for a couple of reasons. One, I, 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 while I'm not, while for example, Dunkirk was a movie I never quite got onto the same wavelength for. Sure. While um, you know some some of his movies I've kind of had questionable uh, opinions of. Um, I <laughs> whenever Christopher Nolan makes a movie, he gets my money. Full stop. No, doesn't matter. He could shoot uh, home videos on his iPhone for three hours and say I'm going to put it in an IMAX theater, and he will get my twenty dollars right away. So that to me does at least say a, a if if not specifically for the content that you are about to witness of the film the event of going to see Tenant sight unseen you were pumped for. I guess that's the word pumped. I guess I, I guess I you could be pumped about something. I get I, pumped about no, stuff I just, all the time. I, I, I wouldn't characterize Excited, I wouldn't characterize the way jolly. I behave as pumped for anything. You, you, you wouldn't I'm, say what. I wouldn't characterize the way I I behave about anything to be pumped. I'm such a I'm like sadness from Inside Out, which is this like oh, okay, here we go. Even if it's I something I'm know. excited I, about. I think films like the three you listed that you were joking that you thought my parents got me. Those are the type of things I think you get pumped oh, about. My, did I tell you they they had a screening of Satan Tango? It's a seven and a half hour movie, by the way. Of course uh, it is. A Hungarian <laughs> film by Belatar. Um, and there is a screen, and there's another uh, uh, another uh, film goer I've met in the last year or so, who I, I do want to get on this podcast at some point, who is willing to do that kind of thing. Okay. And we were planning a trip to go down to the film forum to watch Satan Tango. Um, uh, and he had, and, and if, if I'm not mistaken, he had actually done it once, and he was like, oh, you want to see Satan Tango? I'll go see it with you. And he was going to do it again. Um, so wow. I'm all about, I, like... 
I guess I'm either, all about- either that movie is so good that he wanted to have the experience again, or he might be trying to date you. I mean, either way, look, I'm, I'm I'm good with either way. You know, yeah. like if you're willing, I mean, <laughs> my wife That's... is not going to go see Seth and Tango with me. I'll just, I'll <laughs> say that straight up. She is not going to do it. <laughs> so if you're, if you're willing to do that for me, I mean, she's got some competition for her. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Duly noted. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Listeners. Me. Now, you know, you know, it's Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day is coming up. Just don't do the chocolates. Don't do. Just get tickets to this film festival for whenever film festivals open up or, or movies open up. I should say. I remember there was also there was a Matthew Barney film. Uh, the title was called Rivers of Fundament, and I think it was like five hours long or something like that. And I tried to get you to go see it as well at one point for the podcast, and it was just like a nope. Hard no. I, I wasn't in love yet, you know. It just—I wasn't ready for that kind of commitment. Also, I just called our listeners viewers. I don't. <laughs> I don't know why. It's, it's been a—it's it's, been a it's week. It's been a week. Uh, uh, but you—you you weren't excited for this film, despite the fact that it was a Christopher Nolan action vehicle. Uh, you know, a big summer tentpole blockbuster, and you were kind of indifferent about I was, that. I was thing. pretty meh on it. I—I uh, I didn't wish it ill will. I—I I didn't particularly even before. COVID before uh, I I took umbrage with um with some of Christopher Nolan's um uh statement feelings um <laughs> feeling statements yeah feeling statements um I just saw the trailer and I was like oh neat like I, I don't know it 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 didn't have you have you gone back and watched the trailers since? I have not actually watched the trailers. Okay, I'd be curious maybe after, you know, for the extended edition, for, you know, the special podcast that we, we don't have one of those. Yeah. Um, but if we did have one, I would go back and have Shahir's live reaction to the Tenant trailers because I was, and again, I feel like I was in the minority here. I was not excited about it. Okay. Uh, nothing about it. You know, you know what it was? It all just felt like Inception again. Because mm-hmm. obviously, and, and rightfully so, they didn't spoil anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the action sort of just felt very, very inceptiony. Yeah. And I was like, oh, so this is this, okay. And and for some reason, it didn't like, it didn't grab my attention or interest to be like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Like, and I maybe that's from Christopher Nolan's obsession with time and i know that and it's cool like don't get me wrong like i like the concepts that they he explores in this film and in other films but like i was just like oh it's a time-based thing cool like and again i I (laughs) wasn't do they do they say that in the trailer do they they really don't time-based thing no but there's reverses and the name and the poster image and i just sort of i just sort of gleaned it yeah um so 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 even from there, I, I wasn't excited for it. I figured I'd go see it in the theater because again, you know, say, pre-COVID, I, I feel like pre-COVID was this this blessed time when we would go. Hey, I'll go see that in the theater. Some I point. mean, I think the last film I saw in a theater, Shahir, I, I believe was with you. Was First Cow? Yeah, Did, I, I don't yeah. think we saw it together, but First Cow we was didn't? the last movie I saw in the theater. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So those that was again the last film that we. You can go back and listen to our First Cow review. We I, I, that film was great. That was like uh, twenty <laughs> years ago, right? Yeah, it was like 116 years ago. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I wasn't pumped before, and then when Christopher Nolan uh, was saying his thought feelings, um, <laughs> and again, I, I've come to terms with the fact like we're never getting it strictly from the from the Christopher Nolan's mouth. We're getting it through articles and a little bit of spin and you know all this stuff. But I didn't particularly like the sentiment. Uh, what was the uh, sentiment that didn't work for you? 
that he, st- I mean, you you could be disappointed that your film's not coming out and that, that COVID's not happening, but like to kind of push for your movie to still like have that sort of like what I what I wish I guess if that's the if this is if the experience of seeing Tenet has to be seen in a theater, um, which side note I don't believe it does uh, after now having seen it uh, on a large screen, um, I I'd be more comfortable and I understand there's bigger machinations and moving pieces uh, of just sort of holding it until we could go see it in a theater. Now you could also do that and say how disappointed you were that you had to do that, but it was the right thing to do to keep people safe. Um, and there's, a, and again, I know there was probably pressure from studios and things. And, and you, like you said, it was a bellwether like thing to figure out if the, if the, if theaters could open or how Hollywood would do in this time. But the truth of the matter is, and this isn't a movie theater industry exclusive thing. This is a government thing. This is an everything thing. People like trickled instead of turning off the faucet. And that's why we're still here. You know, like, again, not just movies, of course, but every every little bit sort of played in this sort of like, oh, we'll like stop for two weeks, be like, we'll come back a little bit. But they're like, oh, no, 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 we'll shut down. Like schools are doing, you know, it, yeah. it's and there's many reasons why. So I think I kind of turned Tenant and Christopher Nolan's thoughts, which, again, I don't think are invalid. I just didn't agree with them. I think I sort of turned it into a fulcrum point of being frustrated with the film industry because he was sort of being the loudest mouthpiece to go to still go to theaters. Right. Um, and I don't think I don't think all of my all of my criticisms are uh, have full weight, but that's the only real large scale person that was consistently saying things like that that I heard. Now, now this con- this conversation that he's that's been had around him about pushing people to go to theaters has been a little bit. Uh, misrepresented because what he what he advocated for wasn't necessarily that 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 people should go to theaters. What he was suggest what he really because he wrote an op ed for the L A Times or mm-hmm. no, sorry for the Washington Post about the importance of movie theaters. And I think the point that he was trying to make was that movie theaters are a critical part of our cultural lives and Agreed. they should be supported and protected. And yes. and his argument was is that. Is that uh, while we are considering how business, you know, what is essential services and business that need to be shut down, there should be some protection for the fact that there's, that there's an entire industry devoted to the communal experience that will be lo- that could potentially be lost, and it should be protected as a cultural artifact. Now, as a part of that, what became intertwined with that was that yes, Tenant's movie release was being pushed. Uh, repeatedly, and Christopher Nolan was uh, very vocal about the fact that he did not want Tenant to be first released on a home um, streaming service. That was mm-hmm. that was his big piece. Not so much that he needed the movie to be in theaters, but that he didn't that he wasn't going to allow he didn't want the movie to be in a home streaming service. But you can and, understand how those two thoughts could get construed. They absolutely, I can see how it could be construed, and 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 much of the online err has been at the at the idea that he's been saying people should. Should go to movie theaters to see my movie. I think what he was saying is that is that a he's never been a proponent of his movie being available on streaming True. services first. That's he's you know if you look back through his entire career, he's always advocated for the movie theater. He's always advocated for the movie theater experience. He hasn't so, taken that Netflix money yet. He has not taken that Netflix money. He's not done a David Fincher and decided to like move into the streaming business um, first and foremost. He's a he's a celluloid junkie if anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what what yeah the conflation of i don't want my movie my movie on a streaming service where people were saying hey we're at home now 
you jackass. I can't, you know, I'm not going to go to the movie theater to see your movie. So if you want me to see your movie, put it on a streaming service. And secondly, he was saying we should protect the theater industry, which I think people then interpreted as you must. The only way you're going to see my goddamn movie is if you go see it in a movie theater. Now, again, remember, Christopher Nolan is a very different type of filmmaker than the average filmmaker. Um Emerald Fennell last week talked about the fact that, um, or in our Promising Young Woman, uh, I read an interview with her where she talked about the fact that this movie was supposed to come out in March of this year, but once COVID came around, they were like, look, totally fine. We get it. We're not going to, you know, we'll release the mm-hmm. movie in December or some other time. You know, it's important. Christopher Nolan, however, is, um, as I say, an industry bellwether. He is a person who uh, whose decisions of, upon his movies determines the fate of movies in general. Um, he is very high profile. His movies make a lot of money. They're well recognized. If there's any filmmaker on the planet right now who commands the sort of um, respect from both audiences, studios, and critics, it's there's only one, there's really only one person. That's Christopher Nolan. Um, and and so I think. You know, when he says something like that, it can easily be misconstrued um, in in the wrong way. Now, I would even go as far. Sorry to just jump in here. I would even go so far to say that, like, because of all that, I mean, he's also aware of that pull. Yeah. Like he he, he knows his cachet. He knows he knows what power he wields. Um, I, that, and, and with all of the pieces lining up, his statements about protecting movie theaters, tenant being released, it shouldn't be released as a, a, a home release, and uh, like all of those things sort of put together, it should be more of a, I want my movie in movie theaters, movie theaters are not safe. Hey, government, or whatever, protect these theaters, these are cultural institutions, we will hold off. But eventually, before COVID's over, by the way, spoiler alert, COVID's not over. Yeah. Um, uh, to anyone who's, who thought that COVID was <laughs> So, like, like to still sort of release it in places that I would consider aren't safe. Sure, there are places on the planet where movie theaters are open because numbers are down. The U.S. ain't it. Yeah. Um, and, and so so knowing that you have that power and that sort of say you could maybe push the movie further down the line. Which, you could. Which he did. I mean, which and, he did until he didn't. Yeah. I mean, like he didn't, he didn't outweigh the, he didn't outweigh the virus. In fact, I might argue that I haven't looked at these actual numbers, but when, when did tenant release? Like what was the release date? I of believe Tenet? it was August. No. And then the other thing is in other, the thing again, for a movie like tenant, for a movie like Christopher, for an, for a director like Christopher Nolan, there's international co- uh, concerns about how this movie gets released because he's a big draw card in other markets and other markets are available to screen movies. Tenant was available to be screened in New Zealand and Australia. We had, uh, uh, I was, uh, I put out a Twitter uh, thread about Tenant today, and uh, one of our listeners, Laura, mentioned that she was grateful for the fact that Tenant was there because it brought people into her theater that 100%. allowed her to keep working. And, and, when, and, and, and when it's re- safe to do. And just remember about the way a movie like Tenant would get released in an ordinary year, which is that it would be released to American audiences first, and then that would signal to the marketplace around the world how well this movie is going to do. And Christopher Nolan is somebody who, in cases like this, has always done phenomenally well. You know, but Tom Cruise these, is also having the same these, conversation about Top Gun, by the way, which is that he's not he doesn't want to release that to a streaming streaming audience either. Sure, but they haven't released Top Gun. They haven't. And and again, but so much remember coming into twenty twenty, there's so much of the industry is weighted upon 
what happens with Tenet. Because also, it was an original property in a marketplace that had been previously saturated with uh, comic book material and adaptations. These are all things that are true. However, in my opinion, you shouldn't push to have a movie released in theaters where it's not safe to have it released in theaters. In, In New Zealand and other places where it is safe, Yes, but a hundred percent. And and I'm glad that so releasing it in those countries first means that you get this unusual situation, which hasn't happened very often. We're in an unusual situation, of course, course. and no one's denying that. But you get an unusual situation that means that people in New Zealand and Australia have seen this American-funded film before Americans have, and that has not happened before for a film of this scale. but that doesn't really matter. Like, truthfully, like, in, in, if the market was the same and, like, if there was no COVID and they just decided to release it in New Zealand, yeah, that would be weird and run havoc on all of the numbers that the, that the movie would predict and make and all of this stuff. But that's not what's happening here. They're trying to and, – and what they should do and what they kind of half did was, like, of course, they want to make money on this movie. That's not a bad thing. That's what movies do at this level. It's a company thing. They, otherwise, you can't make the movies, right? So, So – when when the when the industry collapsed like many industries did because of covid they pushed it and pushed it and pushed it and then they decided to release it and actually i don't actually know the numbers here how did tenant do i believe its final box office total is somewhere around the 300 million dollar mark which is an insane amount of money for when it was released during a pandemic i mean it I is it is obviously underperformed for the type of movie 100% it is. um but you know that again that's the kind of asset we're dealing with i want to read you a line from uh uh from nolan's op-ed from the washington sure. post just to kind of give you a sense of the sentiment that i think you're talking about here which is that movie theaters have gone dark and will stay that way for a time but movies like unsold produce or unearned interest don't cease to be of value much of the short term loss is recoverable when this crisis passes the need for collective human engagement the need to live and laugh and laugh uh, and love and cry together will be more powerful ever the combination of that pent-up demand and the promise of new movies could both boost local economies and contribute billions to our national economy we don't just owe it to the 150,000 workers of this great american industry to include them in those that we help we owe it to ourselves we need what movies can offer us right he's saying he's saying help movie theater workers Help movie theater workers understand that the experience of going to see a movie is important. A hundred percent. But, but you know is, what else? But here's the thing. You know what else is important? That, that a whole a lot thing. of things. Like we we've we've not just lost movie theaters, and, and I'm not saying this to you. I know you understand this. I'm just sort of continuing the argument. Yeah. Like like, and I know he is a film director, so he's talking about this thing. But again, it's it. None of these things that we've discussed exist in a vacuum. And when you wield that kind of power, you have to know how you sound. And that is, I I still take that as sort of like, yes, it's beautiful language about an industry that should be protected under a couple different ways, probably by the government, but so should literal people, so should, you know, rent, so should like a lot of things that people need. I think people do need the catharsis of having a shared experience like the movies provide. I mean, again, it's probably a second tier need as opposed to a first tier need of like food, shelter, uh, heat, probably. Uh, But then along those lines, like that's when the arts come in. Like, I think the arts are are highly important, but all of the arts have been damaged. So like, while on one hand, I do love that he was trying to stand up for his industry and the people that work in it, etc. The way he sort of words that 
you could, I mean, I, I still kind of could script as sort of being like, because he's not offering solutions, really. Or does he in the article? He, do, I mean, he writes an op-ed for the Washington Post about basically the, I mean, his, his it's, it's not a solutions-based thing. He's not a government organization. He's basically just saying we should think about this industry as alongside other industries. We 100% should, but also we should put people's safety first. I, I, you know, I, like, I, there are certainly, I can see how people make the leap that he is advocating for people to go see the movie in theater. I think what he's advocating for, and it is a little bit of a muddled conversation, but again, you know, um, I think the issue here is that his voice is very large and very powerful, yes. and maybe he hasn't wielded it in the most eloquent way to suggest this, but I think what he's trying to say is movies are important and movie theaters are important. My movie, which I have made, should be seen in a movie theater, and I will push for that to happen when it when it's time. Now, when he if he hadn't have waited, it would have been released on HBO Max, which is a service he hates, and which is a service he thinks undermines the 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 work of filmmakers. Like I don't think sure. Den, I don't think Denis Villeneuve is very happy about Dune being released on HBO Max. A hundred percent. But I will say, and I think this, that's the situation there, Christopher Nolan saw himself in. Yeah, but there's a lot. I mean, here here's the bottom line. I'm pretty sure that more people have caught COVID in a movie theater than they have watching HBO Max at home. And therefore, it is irresponsible to release films during this time. Not saying that the movies are not important and not saying that they are not cultural landmarks that we need and I enjoy. Like that, like I get it. Like I yeah. don't want, I, I, I don't want to do a lot of things and, and, and you know, life happens. That's, that's the thing. So like, if, if that is the case, you either push it or you don't release it in unsafe places where theaters are. Like, so I, I don't, I don't disagree with that I, at all, but I, I don't think that that what you're saying is incompatible with the things Christopher Nolan said and then eventually got turned into something else. I think where I break down, and then we should start talking about the actual film. Yeah, forget it. Um, who cares? Yeah, who cares? Just, <laughs> like I said, uh, play this episode backwards, and we'll we'll basically talk about the film first, yeah, <laughs> and then this. <laughs> um, the the way the way that I sort of break it down is um, all of these things that we've touched on; these little stones don't exist in a vacuum. <laughs> I, I think we kind of put it quite nicely. It, it, you know. He, he didn't wield his voice in a way that is the most constructive for maybe even what he's trying to do. Mm. And it did rub a lot of people the wrong way. It ran, it rubbed me a lot the, the wrong way. I, I took a minute to come around, like to not just being like one of the, the, you know, angry people that were just like hashtag die for tenant. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, um, it's just hard. I think for a lot of people to see someone with that level of power say these things which are true but also are kind of because of his situation and because of where his power radiates from a little bit cold toward the people that he's actually trying to help by what he's saying it's it's an out of touch sort of thing but also really in touch it's so strange how I, it's like both of those things i think the main distinction to make and the best way i can parse it together is that I don't think he was necessarily advocating for people to go see a movie in unsafe conditions. I think what he was advocating for is that his film, like the films he makes, like like all the work he makes, was meant to be seen in the theater. 
And, and I'm saying he should have advocated to then hold it until it was safe to release it in more theaters. And Tenant was pushed back many, many times. But, um, but, and, not, and, but not till the end of the pandemic. And not till the end of the pandemic. And, <laughs> and, and, and ultimately, Tenant's... Here's one of the other things to think about. Is HBO the decision to go with HBO Max was really based upon seeing what happened with Tenant, like the uh, I, Wonder Woman's release date was tied to where Tenant's release date was going to be, and so seeing that Tenant got released and did no business because nobody wanted to see it in a the theater, nobody was willing to do that. It did well overseas, um, uh, I might add, but yeah. but but that was really one of the key reasons why Warner Brothers said. We're gonna we're gonna release everything on HBO Max, and th- that's how I much. Mean, fine. That's how important, as far as the business of filmmaking is. How important his film, uh, how important Christopher Nolan is to the business of filmmaking but at this here's, moment. But here's the rub. There's two sides of this, and this isn't even Nolan. This is Warner Brothers yeah. at this point. I know Nolan has a say. Yeah. So what we're saying is, Warner Brothers decided to release a film that is the flagpole during a pandemic to see how it shook out that's kind of shitty like to you know to people to people going to the movies uh and i don't really care about the for this particular discussion i don't care about and then that's why this happened they still did that like they did do that and i and i can see again how that looks i'm just saying there's more to it actionable you know things that it, it, it it it's Again, not safe to go to the movies. We're just talking about a, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars here on the line, and people and people are looking are you... at and looking at it through the paradigm of what had been done before against a completely new paradigm. And maybe they shouldn't. Decisions were made. <laughs> oh know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying I disagree intensely with those decisions. Right. Again. I don't have a, millions of dollars on the line. I would like to think that if I was that level of rich, by the way, I think there's something along the lines of after like, what is it, like $300,000 or something like that, your mind actually doesn't change like how you think of money if you get any more. There's like a number. Dave, so Dave like, Chappelle has a really great bit about that where he talks about when he turned down like extra money for the Chappelle show and he was like, I'm at this fancy restaurant and everybody's here a million here can afford the food. Like, what's the difference if I can afford, like, more of it? I can still buy the food. Exactly. So my point is, here's people that are, like, smog with their riches. Like, it, it's kind, <laughs> kind of what it is, yeah. right? Uh, and they're making decisions because they don't want to lose a little bit of their riches that, side note, probably won't affect it them specifically too much. Like, I, I, I th- That's the part I guess I, I say... None of these people are individuals making a decision. You know, like um, corporations are people. Should hear, don't you know that? Warner Brothers employs a lot of people and has business interests all over the world. I'm not saying it's, this is a justification for that decision. I'm just saying this isn't a decision that's made in a vacuum of one person. A hundred percent. And I think it would be would... naive to say it was. Sure, but it was still made and it yeah. still did it. And Tenant was the focal point. And here we are discussing Tenant five months after it. Sick. Seven months after it came out. That's right. That's right. And again, listen to the podcast backwards. If you just look, I'm not going to give you a time mark here. Just start at the end and we'll be discussing the movie right away and you'll get you'll get what you need. And this is just bonus candy on the cake. Candy on the cake? Gross. Candy on the cake. Candy. Tenant. Cake the on candy. <laughs> okay. Um, so, Tenant. This episode should be retitled Candy on the Cake. <laughs> no. 
cake, cake the on candy. Okay, so um, uh, I watched this movie. Tell us what it's I about. Wa- I watched it. I'm going to tell you what I am de blah says Tenant is about. Armed with only one word, Tenant, and fighting for the survival of the entire world, a protagonist journeys through a twilight world of international espionage on a mission that will unfold in something beyond real time. <laughs> I would just love to take out just a few of the suffixes in there and just say, will unfold in some time. <laughs> yeah, they use the word world twice very quickly against each other, so it doesn't quite, I don't know. Um, man, this was, a, this was a film to experience. Um, <laughs> sure was. First and foremost, I, I, I can't believe I'm going to make this my first point. Okay. The sound mix, okay, is trash. <laughs> I couldn't believe, and my system is fairly balanced, mm-hmm. like more so than I would I would posit a, a, an average home guard. Which again, maybe this is why you want it in theater. But I don't think that this is going to sound good in any way because characters often talked uh, hyper muffled, really fast, quiet as hell. In 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 conjunction with loud shit happening the very next second, it was, it was alarming how much I had to I I couldn't understand moments, and I went back after and watched things to figure out what people were saying. Huh. It's it. I get. I I watched it a while back, um, when it was first released on VOD. So I actually own it on. Uh, on we 4K. both own this movie. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, I actually didn't find the sound mix that. Uh, What'd you listen to it on? Just your system? Yeah, on my system at home. Okay. And I didn't find the sound mix to be terrible. Like, uh, it has that sort of like, you know, Nolan esque um, uh, approach, which is that sound. Th- there's a there's a, certainly a soundscape to the film, which is more prominent than dialogue. But I think more than anything, I was just impressed by the score, Ludwig Göransson's score. score. I thought it was great, just amazing. And yep, so I, nope. I guess I guess I liked listening to the score. So I was like, I'm cool with this. I have it thoughts about me, the movie, it, but we'll continue. It made, me, it made me a little upset because when I could, did catch a line of dialogue, it was from our protagonist. Uh, <laughs> and it was often something at the end of a like a, a back and forth thing, and it was really clever. And I was like, oh, man, that was a good verbal jab. <laughs> Wish I knew exactly how we got here. but <laughs> Well, you know we what don't. it is. Ignorance is our ammunition, my friend. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Also, uh, speaking of the script... Um, <laughs> It's it's one of two things in this film, and, and and for a Nolan film, we really shouldn't be surprised at this. It's either uh, a ping pong game of platitudes, mm-hmm. or uh, exposition uh, upon exposition. It's clever quips that have no place in real life in yeah. any conversation. But you know what? That's okay. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't bother me terribly because then I just am already like, oh yeah, it's a Christopher Nolan. I'm like, cool. Like I, I, it's not like I didn't sign on for this when I was watching it. You know what I mean? Right. So that's a bad faith argument to say I didn't enjoy that because I, I did when I understood what was going on. I thought it was good. Yeah. Um, could, uh, action scenes are top notch and hyper. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, high concept. Sure. Uh, in fact, the whole movie itself is high concept. I, I would, and I know you hate this word, Shahir. This is a gimmick film. It does use that gimmick and pull it off, I think, maybe better than any gimmick I've seen as the basis of a film. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 spectacular when your mind sort of picks up on it 
and you start figuring out what's happening and you keep thinking like, oh, cool. So like this is the point. And then it goes back more and you're like, oh, wait, no, this is the point. <laughs> and so like it did it did a lot of sort of like I guess I'll call them like reverse reveals. But it was also complex that my brain never saw the next reverse reveal coming. Mm. Um, so I did enjoy the dopamine hit of the oh, like <laughs> those sort of moments. Um, and then, of course, it gets even more complicated than that. Um, <laughs> oh, boy, does it. <laughs> oh, boy, does it. Uh, and I found – actually, it's funny. I was able to follow most of the action pretty well. The action in this movie is shot very, very well. Uh, it was the in-between stuff I thought was kind of cut together a little bit odd, and I couldn't figure out if there was a reason for that, but sort of twofold things. One, the micro jumps in time – between conversational points, mm. like like when they're in a, a, a shipping container or, or or if they're sitting at a around in a in a house or whatever, like it kind of jumps almost to the point of jump cuts. It's kind of strange. And then the other thing, and maybe I was really hoping you could fill me in on this if you knew, was the format swapping in this movie wow. annoyed the shit out of me. Uh, and I was wondering if, at first I was like, oh, maybe there's like a narrative reason for it. And I'm hoping there is. But if there is, I did not get it. I love seeing stuff shot on IMAX. I think it's beautiful. At this point, shoot your movie in IMAX or don't shoot your movie in IMAX. Like, or have a point to why you're doing both. It didn't feel like there was a point. Um, so those are my sort of starting, those are my opening volley, uh, okay. if you will. What about you, Shahir? Uh, let me go backwards forwards, uh, on this. So the last thing to, first, uh, in, in, in absolutely appropriate format here. Um, I actually can't comment on the format changes because the version that you get on Apple TV, uh, is, um, two, three, five by one the entire way through. So really? I don't see, I, I didn't get a opportunity to see. Um, where the format changes were happening. Wow. Uh, yeah, Can I, so uh, there were two sort of ways they did it. A lot yeah. of times it was standard, uh, not not uh, IMAX for conversations for the walk and talks. Yeah. Um, and then the action sequences were in IMAX. Which cool. is typically what he's done in Interstellar, The Dark yes. Knight, Dark Knight Rises. In Dark Knight. But um, there's okay. also a bunch of intercutting in this movie between either scenes that were shot on those days or like other things. So it like actually quite quickly clicks back and forth a few times yeah and it was it hurt it hurt my brain yeah like in I, a bad way there's good ways this movie hurt my brain but that I was just like what why <laughs> yeah I I find that 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 uh, the obsession with IMAX is not aesthetically considered in Christopher Nolan's movies in a way that reflects the narrative. So mm. my biggest beef with this is that I, you know, I saw Interstellar twice in IMAX and I would just get so, because the rationale for when they shoot IMAX versus when they shoot 35 millimeter is often to do with the lighting conditions and what works for the format as opposed gotcha. to what works for the narrative. So in Interstellar, for example, there are scenes where a character will be outside and they'll shoot it and, and they would have shot it in IMAX. So if you're seeing it in IMAX theater, you're getting the IMAX blow up. And then when they run inside, they shot the interiors in 35 mil. So you're seeing the 35 millimeter strip. Then they'll mm -hmm. run back outside and then be in IMAX again. And that is not akin to the Wizard of Oz uh, uh, interpretation of aesthetic formats where, you know, when we're, in Oz, when we're in Oz, we're in color. When we're out of Oz, we're in black and white. You know, there's a narrative construction behind it. When you're in the grid, you're in 3D. When right. you're not in the grid, you're not in 3D. I, and I think this also comes from maybe... Uh, so IMAX is a very difficult format, format to wield. And yeah. Christopher Nolan is single-handedly kind of... 
Um, put it on his shoulder. Put it on, you know, made it, you know, and Hoyt Van Hotema, who shoots these films, you know, is often seen car- handheld carrying an IMAX camera. And so the difference is the 35 millimeter camera, um, you know, the, the magazines are, uh, the magazines for an IMAX camera are like nearly double the width. Ergo, the lenses, the actual, um, uh, the magnifying mechanisms within an IMAX camera are all double the width. And so all of a sudden, this thing, which is already 70 pounds to begin with, can be in excess of 100 pounds and it's huge it's difficult to turn it looks weird because the format is square uh it's just it's an all-around nightmare it's the claymore of the film industry uh, okay i don't know that reference a giant sword okay a giant overwielding sword i was gonna go with claymore mines which is i think i understand which is also a mine yeah Uh, yeah. claymores are also the other thing is is that because of the lens the focal the, the the way in which the the IMAX cameras are focused is the 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 difference between in focus and out of focus can be like less than a millimeter in some cases. Okay. Um, so it's very challenging to run around to like the suggestion to do IMAX for handheld sequences is absurd and he doesn't. <laughs> I uh, so going backwards from the things you said, um, I also don't enjoy the jumps. Fortunately for me, I didn't see it in that format. I saw it in a in a single strip two three five one, which is on Apple TV, four K a four K um, render. render of the film. Um, so it all looks like two three five one to me. Okay, um, I think I would have liked that better. To be uh, perfectly yeah, honest, because I, uh, I I've seen the thing you're talking about in Interstellar: The Dark Knight, and I don't enjoy it. I, I think it's it's silly. Uh, in Dr- um, Brad, uh, Brad Bird, uh, directed the Mission Impossible, uh, Ghost Protocol films, shot some scenes in IMAX for that. And they had a neat little thing, which would, that, um, when they were going into an IMAX sequence, they would two, three, five frame the first shot that was in the IMAX sequence and then slowly wipe it away so that it wasn't a hard cut between them. You kind of, the film opened up. Um, yeah, which I think oh, was a cool, you know, like a little. Interestingly thing. enough, another thing that plays with aspect ratios like this in a in a creative narrative way is Wandavision lately. Right, on I Disney seen Plus, they, they've yeah. done it. They've done it a few times now in the show, obviously, yeah. and they do the color thing as well. But like, there, there's there's a there's a super creepy moment where they change an aspect ratio in one of the. Uh, oh my god, there's another one soon. I can't wait. Um, but like that, like that works very well. Yeah. Um, and I was really hoping with how complex. Yeah. tenant was that yeah. there was a reason it would be amazing if for example um we saw anything that was in the inverse world in imax only and everything in the forward world was 35 millimeter you know like so that you really like uh ex- even you got an expression of that. like the idea that the world was different even beyond that even if um uh uh, why am I blanking? I'm wow. This is it, it is late. Uh, Batman, uh, Robert Pattinson. <laughs> okay. Even if Neil, even if every shot or like action scene where Neil was alone or something, because yeah. like that has its own twist. To, mm. Like Neil's relationship, yeah, has a has a uh, uh, its own twist with the protagonist with uh, John David Washington's protagonist. So like th- there might have I was like maybe that's something, yeah. but it wasn't. Um, but again, I know how hard that would be too. I just I. It's one of those things where I'd rather the trick is for a reason than yeah. have the just to do the trick because, oh, look, bigger picture. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree with that, and I don't enjoy it, and I wouldn't have enjoyed it um, had I 
had I seen this format in here. So that's that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is that you, uh, yeah, we were supposed to do Eliza Hittman's film, um, Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. And I watched that over the weekend and, you know, without giving away my thoughts on the film, I was devastated by it and I thought it was beautiful and I'm going to be, I'm very excited for us to talk about it. Same. When you suggested to change it to Tenant, I agreed with your rationale about it. I, I sort of saw the logic and everything we were trying to do and it made sense. But there was this part that came over me that was just like, oh, I got to watch that movie again. And I was like, and, and there was this part that just, that just suddenly this kind of like, ah, oh, shit, Aww. I gotta, I gotta do this again. Because I was like, I didn't, I, I had seen the movie uh, a few, uh, uh, maybe a month or so ago. And I have my thoughts on it. And the issue was, wasn't that I, um, had, you know, a somewhat negative reaction to the film was that I wasn't, excited to see it again to to either confirm or invalidate or reaffirm my opinion i was just like oh i gotta do this again Mm. um so i you know like that that is my initial impression of it and i and i have a bigger theory about why i think that might be the case okay um but to which i'll which i'll come to in a second um but i want to say for me personally i i think i admire everything that Christopher Nolan wants to do with this movie. And I admire deeply his commitment to big ideas Mm -hmm. and to complicated ideas. And the thing that I, I sort of love about that is, you know, there's that famous video of him explaining the plot of Memento on a, on a, on a chalkboard. And he draws this like linear diagram of uh, a sort of, Uh, a curve and he says this is the beginning of the film this is the end of the film and the movie is essentially working backwards with these interjection points in it and he's drawing this diagram and it's beautiful because you see the film laid out on this sort of timeline on a whiteboard and what's cool about Tennant is really he's he's constantly replaying that idea but with bigger toys bigger conceits about what that means Mm. uh, and bigger implications of what if the world worked like this like in 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 the case of Memento, what was beautiful about that film is that it is about a man who can't remember things. So he is patching he is patching his life back together backwards from his memories. And that's right. why that film works backwards. In this case, he's you know, the protagonist is literally able to go backwards in time. And so he replays sequences that he's already seen. What I've just said there kind of hints at the, my biggest problem here is, is that in Memento, I cared about the catharsis of the character's realization that his worldview might be wrong mm-hmm. in tenant i didn't care about much of this um i didn't care much about the there, there were those moments certainly when i watched it where i when they were going to do a scene backwards that we had already previously seen Side note, there is a wonderful music video by Michelle Gondry called, uh, called Sugar Water, but C- uh, and it's a Japanese group called Sibo Mata. Uh, and the, oh, yeah, and, I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's, it's basically got two uh, timelines running simultaneously. One's going forwards, one going backwards, and then halfway through the video, they switch, and one goes backwards, one goes forward. And yeah, you yeah. get all these like beautiful synchronicities happening where a cat runs from one side to the other and then is backwards in the other. It's incredible. And I... Uh, I 
like it's mind blowing every time I watch that. When I saw what they were essentially doing in this film with the hallway fight, where you realize that one character is doing this forward and another character is doing backwards, and then later in the film you're going to see the inverse of that, so you kind of understand it. I was like, oh, that's that really cool trick that you know my, Michelle Gondry did in that video, but extrapolated out for narrative reasons into a feature film, into an action scene, and that's really dope. You know, I was like, cool. Um, unfortunately, I don't care. And that's the, that, that, that's the big problem for me is like, I don't care and I don't care about anything that's happening here. And I don't have any emotional, emotional investment in this. And that's fine because I think what Nolan's, you know, Nolan's talked about this film being his sort of stab at a James Bond movie, you know, that sort of, uh, mysterious protagonist who can do all, all sorts of things and, and the sort of bigger world at it. But the problem for me is the movie is just a drag to watch. It's a real dour movie. It's really like... Un, it, there's there's a sort of a lack of, you know, for a word that you keep using in describing film, there's a lack of fun to this. Um, for all the sort of, for all the sort of inventiveness, there's a lack of like joy to the inventiveness. Like what I see is the hard work. What I don't see is is the reward for all the hard work. And, there's the, and no that gets reflected yeah. on the audience. You know, there's no, and I don't want to say narrative purpose. But here, I'll say this. There's no narrative purpose in this film that this film ever makes any strides at making you give a shit about. Like, yeah. it, it wa- this movie wants you to care about the technical splendor that you are seeing. It, it very clearly does not give a shit or does not even care that you're not going to connect emotionally with any character on the screen. That that's the part I disagree with. I I think he's trying for that with uh, particularly with Elizabeth Debicki's character um, oh, and no. the child, but it's a complete misfire. I think yeah. he really is aiming for what worked in Interstellar and what worked in Inception, which was like this complicated story that's really tied together in this sort of relationship and this this but it where 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 he managed to pull off the magic trick in that film, which is making those moments engaging, you know, to, to what a degree you can agree or disagree with it. It's a complete misfire here because that th- there is no depth to those scenes because the, there's no relationship. In yeah, fact, no I would argue relationship. I would argue that the only relationship that almost works at all is one that we experience off screen between Neil and the protagonist by the end of the movie. But that's all based in the (laughs) mechanics that we have put our interest into anyway. And it's also based on whether you really, not, not whether you understand, like I understand what had happened, but it happened so quickly and with so, and there's so much going on that there's very little time to actually register the weight of what happened. The comparison is, think about Interstellar. Interstellar is a movie with huge ideas, but in the middle of it is this, you know, the, the moment that everyone memes, the moment that everyone gifts is Matt, Matthew McConaughey crying at the monitor watching his children's age while he stays the same age, right? That is that is the moment of that movie, and it's beautiful it's absolutely yeah, stunning. because it lets me, you it, it lets you connect with his yeah, character gets you every time there is i feel like there is not only i i think there are moments where they try to do that in this film but there are there never is a moment where it actually works um and it's and and, and, and no amount of having the 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 weapons dealer's wife yeah uh talk about her son man i i, I know i harp on this i know i harp on this but i don't 
I just want Christopher Nolan's films to have a punch up of female characters. <laughs> like I just want I want a a a, a screenwriter, uh, preferably a woman, or anyone but him. I don't care. Like I just it, they're they are literally. I mean, granted, he does treat most all his characters like this, but uh, yeah. they are literally just pieces on a chessboard, and they have like one setting, and I'm just like. Fuck. <laughs> like, I can't get behind any of this. In fact, I'll even say, who was the... I couldn't find him on um, on uh, IMDb. Who played the weapons dealer? Oh, uh, Kenneth Branagh? Was that Kenneth Branagh? Wait, wait you're talking about um, Sator? Yeah. That was Mickey. Kenneth Branagh? You didn't... Wait, wait. No, no, wait. Are you to, you're talking about the Russian, right? The dude who, like, had the thing in his chest and would destroy the world. You didn't recognize Kenneth Branagh? I did not, ho- and I see it now. I'm looking at a picture. Holy shit! Well, that this makes my point even better. <laughs> that I was like, I was like that actor, that random actor. Holy shit! That's Kenneth Branagh. Holy shit! Director Holy of your beloved shit. Thor. I know. I know. <laughs> Holy shit! I was going to say that is that wow. actor did so much fucking heavy lifting <laughs> to make that cookie cutter piece of shit character feel like anything and no wonder it's Kenneth Branagh and no wonder he's so good at it because I didn't even recognize him <laughs> how could he, I mean he's done nothing to his appearance that is Kenneth Branagh it was it was I don't know One it was the, the performance that's, I, that's in my so strange I, that's amazing <laughs> that made me like this movie like like 15 percent more you you realize he was in Dunkirk as well right like I, I want to make sure that you're aware I that do he was in Dunkirk. I know this is the and truth. he looks exactly the what, same I know what <laughs> Kenneth Branagh looks like I don't know what it was about this character. Yeah, it, it, I did not. I did not see the actor through the work. Did you see Michael Caine in this movie? I just really want to make sure we've got, we got an actor blind this year. Going I kind of wish I saw more of. And Michael you recognize Caine. Denzel Washington as the lead, right? Shut the fuck. <laughs> <up>. <laughs> um, no. Uh, yeah, Kenneth Branagh is doing a lot of heavy lifting here, and he's playing a complete psychopath. And who's? It's but again, crazy. it's like there's so much hinged upon. This my problem is is that rather than allowing the movie to pause and have a moment for that, he throws turn after turn after turn to the point where you're just sort of going, uh huh, wait, what, huh, uh huh, what? You know, like they're like, oh, we had this, you know, like, uh, like, I okay, this movie. <laughs> he has oh, we're, to. We're in spoilers now, by yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he discovers so so the protagonist <laughs> discovers that there is. Okay, no, no, wait, wait, sorry. Let me do this again. Yeah, back up. Yeah, yeah, back up here. The protagonist is some sort of agent who is at a siege at an opera house where he believes an arms deal is going down and he retrieves whatever the arms deal was. At that arms deal, he gets captured and 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 he swallows a cyanide pill in, rather than give up his information, which then leads him to become a member. Or, you know, he is introduced by Martin Donovan to the concept of tenant, who just says, I will give you a word and a phrase, tenant, and a symbol, which is this thing, you know, the hand, I'm doing the hand gesture for anyone who can't see it, which never comes into play at all which is by also the way. everyone because it's the podcast yeah yeah never 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 it doesn't matter that i did it in the podcast because it never comes into play whatsoever mm-hmm. um but only to discover that there is inverted bullets in the world right holy shit things don't move with cause and effect they move with effect and cause you know like you have to feel it there are bullets that can fly backwards now press paul hold that thought for a second also there's an arms dealer by the name of sator 
press pause on that thought for a second there. There's a painting that someone, someone, a character who we've never met before, sold Sator to his wife and his wife, no, and he bought it so that his wife, so that he would have a hold over his wife. And that painting is what they're going to go retrieve. Forget about the reverse bullets for a second. We're going to go get this painting and we're going to crash a Boeing 747 into an airport hangar to do it. I'm like, this movie is just, th- and this is like oh, the well, first no, that's actually not 20 true. minutes they, of the movie. They knew that he had something else in there, but that's also where the painting was. The painting was an excuse I th- to deal I, with the wife. I don't think no, they, they, they knew that something else was they in did. there. They did. They look at a map of that cool, of that cool like, um, like latch keyed, like center, center, center Pentagon security place where the art was sort of right. on the exterior of it. And they're like, we don't know what he has in here, but it's his. It's one of his like caches of weapons. Like, they didn't know it was going to be a magic spindle time travel device. <laughs> no, which can that's an, tele- isn't it a nuclear bomb? Isn't it? Isn't well, what they the, thought it was nuclear. No, no, this was worse. It's than worse nuclear. than nuclear. It's worse than nuclear. That's right. Because what if, what if Shahir, <laughs> someone blew up a nuclear bomb in reverse in the past, and this is all of a sudden now a, uh, uh, an environmental film? At any rate, he just keeps throwing stuff at you, to, and and a lot of that, it's like I was like, "Your dude, your hook is reverse time bullets. That's your movie." What are we doing with this art dealer? What are we doing with this plane? What are we doing with like, you know, like buying Brooks Brothers outfits and meeting Sir Michael Caine on a on a like what are we doing here? You got you got reverse bullets. Go with the reverse bullets. That's your movie. <laughs> it's like and he just keeps and then he's like, "Oh, you know, there was this time when Sator and his wife, you know, were in Vietnam and she's got this son and they went away on this trip, but then she saw another woman and that, you know, I was like, "Oh my god, why are we doing this?" And this was that thing in my head where I was just like, "Oh, I got to watch this thing again." Oh god. Um Yeah. It's 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 exasperating and it's and there is no like I'll just say this, the problem is is there is no joy in going through all of that. Like, I don't love Inception, but I find that there is, like, the moment when the top is spinning, I go, that is a moment of joy for everything we've been through to get to this moment and to think about that. I think Mark Kermode uh, at the BBC kind of explained it best when he said, he said, with most Christopher Nolan movies, at the end of it, there's a question that is being asked and the question is philosophical or a question of why in the, in the case of tenant, the question is how, and not, not the technical how of how is this film made or what, what are the tricks they're doing? But like, how does any of this actually work or make sense? Or like, you know, here's the worst part. Here's the worst part. I think I know exactly how you feel about, about uh, this film, because when I finished it, I was like, Oh, I'll have to go back and watch it again to like, really get it and then to like same to your point i was like Ugh. or not well here's the thing like it's it's hyper complex yeah. and i got some of it yeah i also trust that christopher nolan and his team have done the homework to make it make as much sense in their world as they possibly could yeah. i think this movie lives and breathes and dies on its rules that it sets up i do not think it breaks its own rules outside of letting the team in with a cup of espresso into an art room that's supposed to be like the most secure thing in the world that seems like a bad idea you could spill it on the art whatever if that's the minor gripe i got then who the fuck cares i don't even know but, how people are traveling backwards and there's an army that turns up in this movie that works backwards don't yeah we're getting to that <laughs> so so but what i will say is for all of that i probably didn't understand 25% of the mechanics yeah. and it's interesting mechanics on paper but I have zero desire to watch YouTube think pieces on it. 
to deep dive into the physics or the time manipulation sort of around it and the possibilities that can extrude. Like, it's presented in such a banal way from a character perspective that I just don't give a shit. Yeah. The, and, and then the, the realization that there's a dead man switch on the villain, on Kenneth <laughs> There's Rana. a dead man switch! That's like a movie uh, unto itself. <laughs> uh, uh, that isn't going to launch a nuke or anything like that, but it's going to drop the MacGuffin junk staff down a hole. I think it signals to someone that the that, that they can send the bomb, bomb to the past. Yeah. So then, and no one even knows if that will actually end the world or do anything because the grandfather effect is something they don't quite understand. <laughs> but like, and and, and here's here's the, here's the crux. While I did love Kenneth Branagh's performance, so much, in fact, I didn't know it was Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, yeah. Um, the plot is the dumbest, most basic shit of of a villain who we just know is kind of crazy. But if I can't live, no, no if one I can't can have you, live. No one can. And listen, she hears also, you, also you, you, in, you in, in the, the world. In, in the fashion of Tommy Wiseau's room. At some point, they go. Oh, by the way, he has pancreas. He has cancer. <laughs> that is true. He doesn't want to live in this world. Um, I, I will say this, right? I love superhero movies, and yeah. they're dumb and schlocky. And you make fun of me for a lot of it, and rightfully so. But this movie has the worst comic book plot for the most <laughs> complex thing. Like and it doesn't even anchor itself in likable, rememberable characters that have relationships with one another. And I couldn't believe that this was the story that they stapled this awesome gimmick to. I couldn't believe that they put all of this effort into a film around characters that no one gives a shit about. Like I, I I, it blew my fucking mind how bored I was when I thought about what was happening to these people in a film that is extraordinarily shot. Yeah, extraordinarily shot. And I think the thing is, is that you either do the movie that is the gimmick, that is like showing off the cool idea of reverse entropy, right? And you just mm -hmm. do... You do sort of a Neville Dean and Taylor, you do a Michael Bay, you do some kind of thing which just has fun with that. And it's like, yeah. here is a thrill ride from start to finish. Or you really think about the emotional weight of the characters here and you strip it down to make that as easily understandable and identifiable. This movie tries to do both of them and ultimately undermines both of them. And why not have one of the characters, I don't give a shit who, have something of an obsessive compulsiveness about or have something in their past that relates to the passage of time? <laughs> what? You've done it in almost every other movie, Christopher. Like, I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't I, believe that nothing had to do with anything. <laughs> I, will, I, I have this thought. And this is a fully unformed thought right now. Great, let's this, do it. My favorite kind. This is, this is like a wholly uh, unclear thought, and I don't know how I feel about it, and I don't even know if it's fair to discuss it in this way. But this is the first Afro... You know, we, we talked about Soul last week, yep. or a couple of weeks ago, with its first African-American lead mm -hmm. that ultimately gets stripped of his identity 
in that film. Dude's this name is, is protagonist. The, yeah, this is the first uh, film Christopher Nolan has done with an African American lead who has no identity and has his identity stripped. Like every every Christopher Nolan film has a lead which has an emotional tie to it has a story from where they come from where mm-hmm. they've been you know like every one of those characters uh inception interstellar i guess dunkirk would be the exception there and maybe this is following in the sort of heels of dunkirk where we don't really know who these characters are and maybe that's why i'm sort of uh, unformed but i did i did you know just just thinking about soul and this back to back in terms of that sort of like question of identity and what a film like this does to sure. identity when do it. The second thing is, and this is my bigger point when I was watching, when I did, when we did, um, well, we haven't had the conversation yet. I'm going backwards in time here. Uh, when we were going to do Never Really, Sometimes Always. And, and I thought about what the pandemic has done to my wants and needs in a movie theater. And I thought about that line that Christopher Nolan has, which is that I want the, the collective experience. What I don't want anymore and what no movie... I guess we've done three tentpole movies this year. Uh, Soul, Wonder Woman 1984, and now Tenet. What I don't want are these empty spectacles. I don't want... Yeah. If, I, if I'm going to go to the movie theaters, I want Never Really, Sometimes Always. I want Sound of Metal. I want Miss Juneteenth. I want those movies. And I want those movies to be the ones that create the collective experience for me. Because 100%. those movies are in, so deeply in touch with what it means to be a human being and what it means to have to to to, to make connections. Wonder Woman. I, I think Soul is obviously is like you know is is the best of these three that and, we're talking and, about here. And it's and weird to not, sort of categorize them in this in the spectrum. There's no rule that a tentpole film can't also do those things. No. See Endgame. Right. But like, there's yeah. yeah. There and again, it's of course not a, as a hyper personal story of the films that you've said, but there's pathos and 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 yeah, emotion yeah, yeah, yeah. and and reasoning behind what a character does, and you can put yourself, you can suture yourselves in your emotional state to it. Where there's nothing, if you got out your suture kit intended, <laughs> uh, you might as well reverse and put it back in your pocket because you're not going to find any emotional catharsis with any of these characters. Like it 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 blew my mind. It yeah, blew my but, mind more than the backwards fighting. I know, and the. The, like, the, but this is the thing. Again, I love Christopher Nolan. I think again, he has reached this point in in filmmaking culture, and and I I I compare it to you know, and again, it was with Warner Brothers, but nobody at Warner Brothers had more clout in their career at the time than Stanley Kubrick. Maybe perhaps Alfred Hitchcock prior to that. Steven okay. Spielberg doesn't even you know bring this much weight anymore, but Christopher Nolan is someone that critics love that audiences love and that the studio loves because his movies make money. People turn up to see them. Critics love to write about them. So that means, you know, like uh, the, the story I read um, during the dark night was that no, no executive gives him notes, you know, like they're not, they're just like, look, if Christopher Nolan says, this is the way the movie is going to be, then that's the way the movie is going to be, you know? And, and I love that it's a dangerous place. It, it's a dangerous place. And we've seen it with other filmmakers where it's turned out terribly. I, I, I feel like I, the, the, I guess maybe the issue here is that I don't think that this is a byproduct of inability or it's not a byproduct of your reach exceeding your ambition. He's still ambitious. He's still got incredible reach. I think the issue is, is that, is that what he wants to do is being fused with something that he's not that great at. 
And as a result, what he really wants to do, which is this movie about entropy and time reversing itself, doesn't quite fit with this movie about uh, a, a husband and wife, you know, in the middle, of, you know, like and, and this idea of uh, this sort of fatalistic idea. Even the title Tenant, which is that, a clo- you know, which is defined as a closely held belief. Um, particularly in sort of religious terms. At the end of the movie, Neil and the protagonist have this sort of conversation about like, I trust in the faiths of the, you know, I, I trust in the mechanics of the universe. Um, that should carry weight. Like that should be, that should be the moment the film, you know, like has its um, inception moment where it doesn't matter whether it's a dream or not. What matters sure. is whether I love this. And it like, do I dare anyone, write us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com, to tell me that they were emotionally moved by that moment. Because I was still catching up at that point to go, oh yeah, Neil got himself shot. Okay, cool. You know, that's the thing. I was like, okay, cool. Neil got himself shot and he died. Yeah. Cool. Doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, and I liked it, Neil. What? Huh? Like, Neil was fun, fine, I, I, cool, I like okay. Robert Pattinson. I like the, um, I like Robert Pattinson. Uh, the actor who played... Um, the other driver. Oh God, he was in uh, yesterday. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, the boat driver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Himesh Patel. I liked him. I was like, that guy's just cool looking. You know, like that guy's just like. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> you brought up an interesting thing, and it's actually I wanted to bring this up as I sort of. Cl- I mean, my closing thoughts on Tenant is it's not good. Like <laughs> I, 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 it, it does neat stuff, and I, I'm glad that I saw the neat stuff, but I'll never go back and revisit the neat stuff because it doesn't set you up to do it. It's, it's literally, it's, 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 it's like almost trying to be a thinking man's action movie, like the antithesis of like a superhero flick, but like. I don't know. Behind the gusto and the and the gimmick is it's something shallower than than a lot of the stuff in the MCU, which is strange as <laughs> fuck for a Nolan film. And actually, here's my final point. Okay. I I have fallen off the Christopher Nolan train hard for his last three films. And I didn't particularly like Dunkirk Interstellar. I did not like Dunkirk, and I don't particularly like this. You, you sound like uh, the cat in the hat, by the way. <laughs> I know. And I'm wondering if that has to do with the fact that people have given him notes less and less. Because I am of a, I am a, a true believer in this, in the, in the art of cinema, that it is better when there is collaboration. I don't think any script is perfect. I think you, fought, you surround yourself with people that you trust. And you take you 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 take and you give advice and you work together on a thing. And the second that someone becomes like full fledged blown auteur, I honestly think that 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 the the craft will suffer for it. This is a collaborative medium, and while a director should have a lot of clout and steer the ship, the director oftentimes shouldn't also build the ship and navigate the ship. And make sure that the ship is on butt. Like, I don't know. Like, the second that everything is sort of put on one person and no one questions that one person, I, I just don't think the art is better for it ever. So I'm wondering if as he's gained this clout, he has kind of lost me in interest because, oh, it's Christopher Nolan. You don't give Christopher Nolan notes. And it's like mm. Christopher Nolan could benefit from some fucking notes. Not that he's not incredibly talented, more talented than I, than me or a ton of other people or a lot of filmmakers, etc. But wait a, wait a minute, you're telling me you're not more talented than Christopher Nolan? Is that what you're uh, trying wait, to say? Uh, wait, let me just tally up the numbers here. That <laughs> that is correct. Um, but 
but that doesn't mean that he shouldn't get notes. I to be fair, I want to say that that thing about notes is a studio level thing, which is that the studio doesn't give him notes. I'm fairly certain that Christopher Nolan has a has a a, a good array of collaborators around him that help him form his films and that he bounces ideas off. I'm just saying from a what, what's amazing from a business point of view is that is that they is that there's a realization that Christopher Nolan is a brand unto itself. But with that power dynamic that we talked about before, he can do whatever the fuck he wants and it seems like at least for my for my cinematic interests, it seems like he's moved in a direction I don't like mm. and he's gotten more popular around it, so I'm kind of seeing the connective dots. Yeah, I, I Anyway, anyway, Tenant, it's a movie. <laughs> it's Shahir I yeah I there the problem for me is I deeply admire Christopher Nolan I deeply admire that he made this movie. It's a real drag. It's a drag of a movie. That's the, the problem is for me is the real drag. Like it's a drag to watch. It's a drag to it's a drag to think about. It's a drag in that it's not. I didn't find it philosophically compelling to want to engage with the mechanics enough of, you know, to like to revisit it. Um, and, and that's a shame because he's good at what he does. Great filmmaker, really, you know, like worthy hands, um, smart. You know, I love listening to him talk. I love listening to him talk about movies. I love listening to, the, to him talk about the way he writes and the way he thinks about movie. He strikes me as an honest man who in the, the reason I, I sort of wanted to interject that thing about the studio thing is that I don't think this is like, he's a very thoughtful man. You know, he's a thoughtful, introspective human being. And, and I, and I see that in what he wants to do with the medium. Mm-hmm. He has found himself at the, at the, at the peak of, uh, of, of, of the power of the medium as both a business and art and an art form, and unfortunately, this film I found to be a ride that I didn't enjoy either philosophically, and and I didn't find the catharsis in the joy of the mechanics of it. Yeah. So so it was just yeah. When you said let's do it again, I was like, oh boy. I mean, I was just trying to save some schedule time. No, 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 I get it. But it was just like, it, that was the thought. That was my initial reaction. And and you, I think you even had the same response. It's like, if I said, let's watch Tenet again today, you'd be like, nah, eh, I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Which is so strange. But yeah. anyway, this has been the only uh, podcast about the film Tenant. Uh, Shahir, when you're not uh, going backwards uh, in general, where can folks find you? Uh, you can find me uh, flipping, reversing. Uh, is it worth it? I don't know. Uh, on my website, www.shahirdaud.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Matt, when you are um, renaming yourself as Tam on the internet, where can people find you? Wow. You can find me and my life and works at uh, M-O-C dot uh, L- <laughs> O R K W E H T T A M dot W W W nailed it for my life and works. 
Also, Skeletor, the number four PREZ on Instagram uh, and PSN or Emperor MSK on Twitter. Also, please check out the good works we are doing over at Extra Credits. By the time this comes out, we will have had all five of our Saladin series on the Third Crusade out. Uh, we're very psyched about that. We're doing an episode actually releasing tomorrow after this recording. On um on African American boxing heavyweights, uh, like sort of a history of three of them, which is super super fun. Who are the and three? Just... What? Who are the three? Muhammad Ali, Sugar Ray Leonard, and no no no, I, Muhammad Ali is one of them. I'm going to let listeners go forth. Okay. Um, and then also we're doing uh, uh coming up where you have a really good episode. Uh, the Wednesday after this gets released on game design about what kind of game designer are you trying to focus on if you want to get into game design. Like knowing that there are different schools and paths that you can do, and really like zoning in on what you think works and what makes you excited about making games. Well, so what, we got a lot kind of good game stuff designer coming. Am I? Tell me. You are. Oh, this is so interesting. You are a hundred percent an experience designer. What is that? Oh, I uh, design an experience. Well, kind of, <laughs> but like you, because you 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 have what I would consider director brain, which is both a compliment and an insult. Um, <laughs> where where you are hyper focused on on moments of a thing, like 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 you you want uh you want to give people in your audience a experience that is very specific, and you will work tirelessly in order to move all of the levers and dials in order to make that happen. Um, what's a game that would that that would fall into that category? So I understand. Carefully. Well, so every game like, has I'm different. So, Mist. No, uh, well, kind of. So like every game, depending, has all of these kind of designers sort of involved in it. But like, so the four we have is content, level, um, uh, systems, and experience. Mm. So like, an experience designer, like something. Okay, this is more what an experience designer is. Like when you're playing Mar like no other game, no other platformer plays like Super Mario Brothers, like the original NES, like the way that you sort of the let's even use the jump, yeah. right? The jump has a certain upward trajectory. You have a, a a focal point at the top and then a downward arc, and it sort of feel like when you're playing a game like that, you know it's Mario, and that's because someone has taken that experience and tweaked it ever so much, even when it was designed to know that that like they wanted that jump to feel like that jump, right? Like. And that that's what an experienced designer is. Anyway, I'm butchering it. Our studio director Jeff did it hundred uh, percent. He wrote the script. It's great. Check that out. Okay, um, I, I'm gonna try and evaluate what kind of game designer you are at the end of this. We should do this as I, like a a party trick now as well. We can like. I think I'm a content. I I think I'm a content designer. I like I like like crafting. I like crafting the story, but not doing the hard work. I like doing what Christopher Nolan did before no one gave him any notes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, anywho, also, please email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at onlymoviepod. Let us know you're still out there. We are so alone in Queens, <laughs> and we'd love your uh, opinions on Tenet or anything else that you want to talk about cinematically. Write us in with movies you'd like us to do in these trying and unprecedented times. Um, and yeah, next week we will be back with never, rarely, sometimes, always. Yeah. Please see it. Uh, please watch it. It's, it's available yeah, right yeah. now. Please watch it Max. beforehand. You know what? I'm psyched because we can say here, go watch this movie. So we are ready when we discuss it. It is well worth your time. And there's so much to talk about. We're going to have a great guest. Uh, fingers come crossed. back next fingers week. Crossed. <laughs> yeah. Fingers. Or we might have a great guest. Yeah. If we have a guest, they're going to be great. If not, if we it's, don't, just <laughs> it's just us. It's just us. And we apologize and you know, in advance. Yeah, so <laughs> let's see how it goes. We'll talk to you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.